0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Healing the Nations podcast, your podcast on religious liberty and end-time events and Bible prophecy. And we have a very special guest all the way from Germany, Evangelist Christopher Krampf. Brother Christopher, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me
1: on your, on your podcast.
0: Oh, the honor is ours. Can you tell us a little bit about your ministry?
1: Yeah, so I'm a Speaker Director of the Joel Media Ministry, which is basically a website dedicated to present the three English messages in all their aspects uh, to the more or less German-speaking uh, world. So we have evangelistic series, we have um, um, Bible studies, we have series on uh, different historical topics, like on Advent history, on the Reformation. We have the Revelation verse-by-verse series. Uh, we have a series that goes through the entire life of Jesus Um We are doing the Sabbath School quarterly um, every week. And a presentation, we have daily devotions. So certain things um, that uh, cover different aspects of uh, our message.
0: And we'll definitely have all that information in our description so that people could access those things. So uh, you are a preacher of Bible prophecy, is that correct?
1: Um, Yes, I I believe, you know, uh, as an an evangelist, you should always um, have prophecy on your heart because Jesus, uh, in Revelation 10, um, he gives out uh, Daniel. so when we come to when we come to Jesus um, as a true believer, he will give us prophecy. so we should always uh, look for prophetic uh, meaning. and uh, yeah, so that's uh, something i I like to talk about.
0: Now there is heightened awareness for in-time events here in America. Is that the same in Germany?
1: I mean, it depends. Germany is not as religious, uh, so to speak, as the American populace. There is definitely a heightened interest in world events, also in questioning mainstream narratives. So there is um, larger openness to certain prophetic ideas, uh, I would say, or a potential larger openness. Um, but most people would not be too familiar with uh, standard prophetic interpretations here in our secular Germany.
0: Is COVID-19 an in-time event Mm -hmm. issue, in your opinion?
1: That's a good question. I believe, first and foremost, um, for every interpretation, whether it's uh, prophetic or any other nature, we should demand a very clear and succinct, thus says the Lord. Without any thus says the Lord, we will just uh, indulge in speculation. And uh, when we approach the Bible and uh, we read, Uh, the prophetic chapters of the Bible, um, and uh, we also um, look into the writings of uh, inspiration and the the spirit of prophecy, Um, I have not found any clear indication that a pandemic like COVID-19 is foretold in all its details as a main factor in end-time events. I think we should pause for a moment. Uh, I, I'm sure that in the United States there are also many theories about this, at least here in Germany. Uh, theories uh, um, are abundant about what this could mean uh, uh, in terms of the Bible. But we should, we should pause for a moment and, and be very clear that inspiration has been largely silent on what we, see, what, what we have seen in the year 2020. Um, to put it differently, the Holy Spirit clearly foresaw that there would be a large pandemic, right? And the Holy Spirit foresaw all the the issues that we are now facing. And uh, the Holy Spirit was able to, for example, um, to inspire Ellen White with a very clear, detailed description of certain developments when it comes to the Sunday Law crisis. So if the Holy Spirit would have thought that this pandemic um, the, the issues that we're facing right now would be of a specific importance for God's people, like a watershed event that would determine whether, which way we go as a church or so. Uh, I would expect that he would have had something to say about this. Um, he has proven himself to be able to be very succinct, very clear, even in details when it comes to prophecy. and the Holy Spirit has not given us any clear indications. So from that perspective, I would say pandemics um, are somewhat clearly foretold in Matthew 24 as a general panoramic uh, idea that spans the centuries. Um, but that's Matthew 24 in these famous verses where it talks about the, the pestilences and earthquakes and the famines and the wars and the rumors of wars. That's not something very specific that, that is not only applicable to the very end of time. But that's more like a general outline of events throughout the ages. And so in this respect, we can clearly say that you know Matthew 24 covers also COVID-19 and all we have seen. But uh, I think it should be very clear to us that our prophetic interpretation or uh, classical Adventist interpretation is very different from what we see now in promoted by certain YouTube videos and certain alternative media and we should not buy into this.
0: Is there also any prophetic significance with the climate change movement and the Great Reset or the so-called Great Reset? I know that is a huge movement in Europe. What are your thoughts about that as an end time event issue?
1: That's a good question. Um, Now, I would say, let, let me just make a general comment here. There's always been in our, at least in the last 100 years, a tendency, especially among those in our church that are more conscientious when it comes to like literally believing the Bible, what, what it says, and following the prophetic message to its full intent. There's always been a tendency to be super alert to news and to political developments and economic uh, disasters and um, an eagerness to bring this news, something that is right now, uh, that, that, was, that was important at that time, to bring it into contact with Bible prophecy. I'm sure as a historian you remember that uh, early in the last century, people were freaking out about the, the Turks, right? Ottoman Empire and the, the Yellow Danger, yeah, and, and the and, and the Asian would come when when all these nations arise and our evangelists they would preach about this and from some perspective it looked almost as if it was prophetic um, because you could even use Bible verses like Armageddon and, and, and the East and all of this but it turned out to be all a failure and one of my maxims is we have the Bible to interpret the news and not the news to interpret the Bible. Having said this, uh, we should be foremost in clearly defining what our prophetic message is, and, you know, Revelation 10 is very clear about that. There are some hints in uh, Revelation that speak also about possible climate issues uh, when we talk about Revelation 11, for example, where it speaks about those that destroy the earth, Right? And this is not particularly, I believe, a prophecy about some climate change movement, um, but it's more generally describing the very documented fact that human behavior over the last years and decades and maybe even centuries has uh, definitely destroyed much of God's creation. Um, I'm aware that many Bible believers and prophecy students have been Interested in especially the the Catholic um, approach to the climate uh, change movement and the calls for a more sustainable um, economy and uh, also you know linking in Sunday worship, especially when we uh, look at the official statements coming from the Vatican. And I think that's something where we should have our eyes and we should um, be very vigilant and watchful. Um, as we do not n- not necessarily know in all aspects how the Sunday law movement will come to pass, and we have certain indications, we have certain markers that we can pinpoint, um, but we have not all the information from what angle it will come and what specific um, um, explanation will be given and what motivation will be behind it. And so that's definitely an, an option um, that Sunday may be introduced as uh, one of several ways to make people more aware of uh, our our common uh, re- responsibility for the planet, and so yes, there might be some indirect relevance, right? Um, but I think we should not go into the debates, you know, whether the climate change is man-made or, or or not man-made and, and having all kind of political strife about that, I think it's important to, to notice the things going around us. And uh, we can have our own opinion um, about, you know, how much political agenda might be behind certain ideas and certain movements. Uh, but prophetically, uh, this might be a side issue um, factoring in, but it's not for sure, not the main issue um, because in Revelation and in Daniel and of course in the Spirit of Prophecy nothing specifically about that is mentioned and so that we, we should keep that in mind
0: Now here in the United States there is a um, growing movement of lay people not necessarily speakers or evangelists or pastors but just lay people active in social media that believe that communism and socialism Will be catalyst in bringing the Sunday law. What is your response to that?
1: Um, I think my response would be uh, to have a have a Bible study on uh, Revelation thirteen, which is absolutely clear. I mean, Revelation thirteen. Um, I think there is no doubt in my mind that uh, verse eleven and twelve speak about the United States of America, and uh, that this is a Christian a nation or a nation of Christians, to be more precise when it comes to the founding fathers. Um, that's a nation of Christians, and a nation that will definitely transform itself into some sort of a Christian church state, whatever entity, uh, that is coming together with a very clear so-called Christian church state, the Vatican. And uh, we know from Matthew 7 very clearly uh, that people will actually think that they are Christians at the very end of time, right? Uh, Jesus says, "Not everyone that calls me Lord, Lord, uh, will will enter into heaven." And there are many indications in, in the Bible that uh, those that will persecute at the end of time will actually think they will do God a favor. And I think it's pretty clear to say that communists never really thought that. When they persecuted Christians, which happened, of course, in Mao, China, or in Stalin, Soviet Union, or other places, that they were doing any favor to God. This idea of an atheistic end-time entity is not totally new. And I think you may be aware of this, that there were a few expositors in the middle of the last century that actually introduced this idea uh, when they were impressed by the Cold War um realities and this erratic communist blog. and this is another example of what i what i said before you know that when we look at the news and the news may not totally um conform to our detailed prophetic interpretation that we sometimes are prone to throw out some of the details in order to make the news headlines fit um we've seen this with you know the Ottoman empire We have scenes with uh, the the Cold War um, and and this idea of uh, um, um, a communist end-time entity. And um, let let me just, before I continue on this, let me just make one footnote here. Um, You know in Daniel 8, where it speaks about the first king of the Greeks, at the time when Daniel got this vision, this was a very un- Unrealistic prediction because there was not a unified Greek nation whatsoever. The only city states, and the more time progressed, it became more and more unrealistic because much of the Greek city states they all actually get got rid of their own little kings. So kingship was something very outmoded and outfashioned and dated. And there were only a few city state that actually retained the idea of kingship, they actually invented democracy. So as time progressed from decade to decade, it it became even more unrealistic. And someone looking at Daniel eight would say, you no, know, this will never happen. If if they would have um, changed their prophetic interpretation according to the news, they would have missed something because in just one generation, the unforeseeable actually happened and you know, as you know, Alexander first, of course, Philip II, and then Alexander, they united all of Greece by war and then uh, went into, into Asia and, and established the great empire. And that's an interesting point that we sometimes not really catch when we study Daniel 8. This was something that was unrealistic, and, but it happened very soon. And so maybe people looking at the news today are a little bit you know concerned will there ever be a Sunday law pushed by the religious right by Christians um may it not be you know some sort of conspiracy elite whatever uh, this seems to be more in harmony with what they read and hear um, but we should not fall for the trap of this of the devil to let the news interpret the Bible for us uh, and just another example of this is you know and that's not too long ago you know this um, when ISIS was actually ruling um, much of uh, uh, the uh, Orient, people were th- thinking that you know <laughs> the Ottoman Empire comes back, you know the, the Caliphate, and uh, people thought now no, Islam will be the end time uh, player, and uh, we should not be so short sighted. Uh, we should stick with our prophetic interpretation, whether the news um, agree or not. Because we can have faith enough when we look back in history that finally the news will totally agree, and it may be, be very sudden and unexpected. And uh, from what I see in Daniel Revelation, there is no absolutely no communist player at the very end. Like the the, the first beast of the, uh, Revelation 13 is very Christian. The second beast will be then very Christian, and uh, there's no indication for communism whatsoever in uh, Bible prophecy at the very end, like when we're talking about Sunday Lord and and so on.
0: Now, you have a lot of connections with people in the United States and you're connected on social media. And you've witnessed from a distance how there's a fair share of Seventh-day Adventists that have been politically partisan and many that have been openly supportive of the current outgoing administration. And tying that into saying that the current administration is favorable to the 7th Adventist Church, and so on and so forth. As a observer from Europe, how do you see this going on, this phenomena? Uh, what are your observations of this?
1: Well, yeah, let, let me say something on this. Um, I observed this for quite some time. I'm not an expert in all the political details of American history, um, but I observe American politics quite a bit, because, of course, as an Adventist evangelist, I'm... Very much interested in revelation 13 and and to see where things are headed let me answer first with you know this Ellen white quotation where, where she says that bury all political questions now the Bible is quite clear and Ellen white is crystal clear that as Adventists we have nothing to do with politics except you know you know this famous quote you know which says where she said that you know if, if you know we could uh, vote for someone who will uh, forbid the selling of liquor, even on the 7th. Go vote. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, that's our health message. But when it comes to real politics, or taxes, and and uh, foreign policies, and uh, what all the you know all the aspects of policy, Ellen White says bury the question. Don't even go to this. And here's the reason why. It's not because Ellen White was unpolitical. She knew, or the Holy Spirit knew that human hearts, even Adventist hearts, are too weak to handle political questions in a way that it would not disturb the unity of the church. You know, God is not trying to hinder us to be politically. He just knows that our hearts are so prone to, to, to pride and uh, to self-righteousness and to strife that he just said, "Don't go there because you will not be able to handle it." And you know what happens all the time? We read this. We say, "Yeah, yeah, of course," but it doesn't really apply to myself because I'm I'm such a well grounded and well standing Adventist. I can I can surely uh, tap into the political and it will not harm me. And lo and behold, even ministries that share the same Christological and and uh, and. Uh, uh, prophetic message they split as far as i can see from the distance they split over political questions and uh, we should we should be very cautious and uh, i mean i i think it's very okay for everyone to have his own personal political uh, ideas uh, right Uh, as a church we should not forbid them but as a church we are on purpose politically neutral and uh, as a church, we uh, neither uh, condone the uh, Republicans or the Democrats or any other one. Um, and you know, I, sometimes I, I would I could wish to to say to my American brothers and sisters, don't forget that uh, there are many Adventists out there uh, that actually are not in favor with Republicans or Democrats because they're living in another country, they <laughs> have different political issues, and so. Um, to make Adventism kind of aligned to one of these two American parties um, makes Adventism very American in a certain way, you know, and that would also align American Adventists from the world field, and that would not be a wise thing to do, uh, because uh, newsflash, (laughs) I'm not interested in either the Democrats or Republicans, because uh, you know, as a German, I have no connection to them. And so I think we should pray for the outgoing president and the incoming president and every president and every king. And, you know, the Bible says that we should pray for them. We should not speak evil about them. We should not slander them whether we like them or not. Uh, we should be Christians and we should uh, support and obey government as long as uh, government is not asking us to do things that are contrary to the word of God. And, um, I believe, to be honest, uh, Peter, I believe that the doctrine of the Christian and the state, you know, the Bible has a doctrine on how to um, behave as a Christian in the state, and it's very nuanced and very detailed and very very solid. That doctrine has received little attention in, in the last years.
0: There's a growing movement here in America as well called Christian nationalism or Christian patriotism it's even uh, been amongst us within the church here in the United States. What do you think of the concept of Christian nationalism and Christian patriotism that American values and American Christendom is the dominant type of philosophy that should dominate the world?
1: Well, that's you know, <laughs> that's a risky question. Um, as a German, you know, I have a, a very nuanced, um, Approach to nationalism, of course, um, based on our history, and that's you know something that is in a certain way also specific to Germans, and uh, so my own feelings or experiences in the field would not be necessarily the the measurement for everyone else. And I think, like as a historian, when I look. Back into history, I can see that uh, a certain type of healthy patriotism is not to be condemned. You know? That uh, people that are part of one nation group, uh, w- w- of one language, um, then they have some, you know, some ties together. The Bible tells us that, that God Himself, you know, He He basically set up different nations and different different uh, languages. Sent. So that's not something totally evil. Um, But we should, as Christians, always remember that um, religion trumps ethnicity, religion trumps nationalism, uh, in the same way as religion trumps family and other things that God has invented, right? Um, The kingdom of God supersedes all of these categories so that that they have their own Proper space and, and place, and if uh, you know, uh, applied in, in moderation, and there's nothing to be condemned about at, at least I can see. I, I would say, but our gospel is the gospel for our, all nations and all people and all tongues and all kindred. And we're not asked to make them Americans, right? <laughs> we're asked to make them Adventists, we're asked to make them believers in the Lamb of God. and um, that will also include the idea of making the gospel applicable and understandable in their own culture. And, um, you know, we can learn from Paul that he did not attempt to make uh, Gentiles uh, into Jews, right? Um, now, this argument, of course, has been stretched too far in in trying to water down our message, and that should be, of course, uh, avoided. Um and to be honest, I, I, I would say as an, as an uh, German Adventist, I believe uh, by, by the reading of the Great Controversy, I believe by reading what Alan White had to say about the subject, that the United States is a specially favored nation. Alan White tests quite a bit about to say that God has done more for this nation than for every other nation. But um, prophecy also tells us that that very nation that God has done the most will then play the false prophet, right? And so, yeah, we should be careful about nationalism uh, when it supersedes Christianity, when it gets into the way of humbleness and, um, yeah, of Christ-likeness.
0: Now, in Germany, of course, historically, it is the epicenter of the Protestant Reformation. However, the Lutheran Church is a state-sponsored church, is it not? (laughs)
1: Well, it's a little bit more uh, nuanced because we have the Lutheran Church and the Catholic Church as well. So uh, depending on where you are in Germany, uh, one of the two churches is stronger. Like in the north, the Lutheran Church is very strong and the Catholics are almost non-existent, whereas in the south, uh, for example, in, in Bavaria, it's uh, pretty much the Catholic Church uh, being, being in, in power, so to speak. There's much more connection between the the, the main churches, I would say, and uh, and the state.
0: Does that have any implications for religious liberty in Germany? That's a
1: good question. I mean, it has in a certain aspect, and that is if you are part of one of these uh, major churches, uh, that, that is, you have been baptized as an infant, you actually have to pay a, f- a little fee in, in order to, to leave the church, right? So you cannot just say, uh, no. Nah, because of my Bible studies, I want to be an Adventist. Uh, you, you can, of course, but if you want to leave the Lutheran Church or leave the Catholic Church, you have to go to, um, to, to an office and actually pay, let's say, 30 euro or 40 euro <laughs> to leave the church. And that's, of course, you know, maybe sound very strange to American ears, but that's the way it is. And uh, it's affordable, but uh, that's, of course, something from a, from a Bible perspective, it's, uh, it's not right. Another religious liberty issue in that is respect is that believers in that or members of that big churches are actually taxed and they have to pay taxes that are going directly to the church so are uh, the church is actually helping the churches to to get their revenues by imposing a small but you know relevant tax on the members and you can avoid that tax only by you know paying that uh, fee and then just leaving the church um But that does not mean that uh, these big churches kind of um, dictate uh, in religious affairs. Um, There's freedom of religion uh, in in Germany. Uh, Most people are quite secular, uh, which is kind of sad. And um, yeah, that's kind of the the state of affairs right now here.
0: So the church state system has caused more people to be secular in Europe. Is that how it is? (laughs)
1: Maybe that could be one factor. Uh, another factor is definitely, for example, when I look to Eastern Germany, it's communism. Um, Eastern Germany was a hotbed of Protestantism. Um, you know, Luther came from from Eastern Germany, for example. And, uh, but 40 years, you know, when we talk about the GDR um, from uh, 1949 to 1989, 40 years of communism has really uprooted a lot of um, belief in God in, in, in that part of Germany. So that's, of course, one reason. Another is, you know, just uh, the zeitgeist, um, uh, postmodernism that, you know, is, is challenging everything and, of course, uh, religion as well. And, of course, one of the major aspects, in, in my opinion, is uh, the, the impact on, uh, of modern historical criticism. Um, so if you go today and, and given Lutheran state church, and there are of course some churches that are a little bit more Bible believing still but you know just an ordinary Lutheran state Church it is not it would not be surprising if the pastor actually don't believe in large parts of the Bible and if he would just blatantly say that he does not uh, agree with the theology of Paul like I I heard this myself being in a in a, in, a, in a worship service once where the, the the female pastor actually said you know from the pulpit this is what Paul said I do not agree and you um, what, this, what, this may, what is uh, the result of this is, you know, why should you, why should you join a church that actually doesn't even believe the foundational book it promotes? And so only those people that are kind of Christians because of tradition, like old people that have always been your know, part of the church, they kind of remain, but the rest is just going, going out.
0: So as an evangelist, how do you reach to the secular mind in Germany?
1: That's a good question. To a certain degree, I have to admit that uh, we are not too many evangelists in in Europe, uh, to be sure. We we can actually count them on on two hands for all of Europe. Um, We have been largely influenced by, you know, the very good work that has been done by American evangelists um, that have gone also abroad and and further afield to our places. and, And we have kind of tried to copy them in a certain way, you know, taking their material, learned from them, went into their schools. Uh, I went, for example, to, to the Peace School of Evangelism that was, you know, set up in, in, um, in connection with amazing uh, facts, for example. But over the time, I noticed in doing my work that the American approach is not totally, fully um, applicable to our place. And um, when I do evangelism, people here are very critical, so... I want to back up things much more with historical evidence, for example. So apologetics becomes more important. You cannot even assume that people know that Moses lived before Jesus, for example. right? Uh, so you cannot assume a simple, basic Christianity. You, you have to start from scratch in, in many respects. But that can be also an advantage because people don't come with errors. So when we preach, for example, the Second Coming, we seldom even even talk about the rapture because it's, it's a non-issue because people don't believe in the Bible so they don't believe in the rapture and we can just teach them the truth from the beginning, you know? And so this has advantages and also, of course, disadvantages and uh, yeah, that's kind of the, the situation right now.
0: Final question. What do we need to do to get ready for Jesus to come?
1: I believe with all my heart the best thing and the, the most important thing that we need to do right now is to actually know him personally. Over the years, I've seen many proposals, what we should do, and uh, we should do this and this, and and all of this is right, and all of this is correct, and it's all driven, uh, taken from the pen of inspiration. But all these methods... And all these points of emphasis, the people saying we need to emphasize this point of righteousness by faith much more, or we should preach more this prophetic chapter, or we should do more health mission work, or we should concentrate more on agriculture or whatever, you know. All these emphasis have never led to the final movement. And that's for a simple reason, because you can do all these things which are right, even without the full knowledge of Jesus. And, you know, when Jesus comes back, Isaiah 25 says that there were people that say, this is our God. We have waited for him. When we talk about the sealing, which is, of course, the one important, crucial aspect of our preparation, I'm more and more convinced that um, Song of Solomon 8 verse 6 um, is super crucial for our understanding, when we talk about the seal being the Sabbath, which is a sign of our sanctification, a sign of God's character in our heart. And um, all of this is basically um, summarized in in song of Solomon 8, verse 6, where it says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as cruel as the grave. It flames are flames of fire, most vehement flame. This, of course, of course, Solomon speaking to his bride, typologically speaking, this is Jesus speaking to his church, saying, "I must be on your heart." It makes a difference whether we study Daniel eleven or we study Daniel eleven with Jesus. It makes a difference whether we we are doing medical missionary work or we're doing it with Jesus, and you know, trying to follow the example of Jesus. To be honest, observing what we have Adventists have done in the last half of a year during the pandemic crisis, looking into the spirit and the tone of many social media comments, I don't think we lack information on righteous by faith. I don't think we lack information on prophetic invitation. Sometimes I think we do. <laughs> but I think we especially lack a Christian character that really, really believes that Jesus is our top model and we really, like, we want to be as close as possible to Jesus. We want to speak like him, want to interact with people like him, want to be friendly like him. I think that's that's the issue because whenever we, like, from my personal experience, whenever I walk with Jesus and I take time. He makes things in my life much more easier. And uh, I believe the latter rain will be much, it will be much more simple than we actually think. It will not be too much of our effort trying to convince God now to pour the Holy Spirit. When we draw nigh to Jesus every morning and we ask him of duty, he will show us our duty And we will be prepared. And uh, then we will also be enabled to see which is a prophetic, what topic is really of prophetic significance, what is just a side issue or even a distraction from Satan. And we will know how to do the things we are told to do. And we will not do them just in our own power and our own strength, trying to kind of, you know, convince God that he must come now because we have been so diligently doing his work we'll actually not even be so aware of that we are doing it. You know, like when we talk about Matthew 25, those who actually are sealed and are receiving the Holy Spirit don't even realize in a certain sense that they're doing that work, right? Because as John, they have lost themselves in Jesus. And maybe the greatest call for us today is to look away from ourselves, from our problems, and from our goals, and to look to Jesus, and he will prepare us. He has said, you know, that through beholding, we will be saved, and through beholding, we will be changed. And when we are changed in his image, let me just say one thing more, can I? Um, I don't know whether you have ever thought about this, um, but I think one of the greatest and most important passages for the end times it's actually the Sermon on the Mount the Sermon on the Mount tells us of course how we can be saved it tells us how we can actually obey the Ten Commandments in the sense that God wants them to be obeyed which is reminiscent of Revelation 14 it talks about even loving your enemies which will be the final display of God's love in that dark hour of you know the Sunday law persecution death decree, and to very honestly, uh, Peter, I, I don't think that many of us, even if we're very aware on, and of all the movements going on and we, we, we know everything the Pope has written, that when I look at how Adventists behave, not only on social media, but even in, in the daily life, are they prepared to love their enemies? You know, if we cannot even love the other political party, right, <laughs> how would we love those that will actually torture us? So, the, the Sermon on the Mount shows us how to love our enemies, how to be perfect, right? Because, you know, that always has always been the hallmark of Adventism. You know, perfect, perfection, not perfectionism, but perfection. Um, the Sermon on the Mount speaks about perfection. It speaks about identifying the false prophets that will try to lead astray, as Jesus wanted in Matthew 24. It speaks about not sorry about the, the material issues of life, which will be one of the major crucial points in. In the time of when, when we are fleeing, right? And then there's something in Matthew seven at the very end which caught my attention in verse twenty four when Jesus says, "Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, he's saying whoever hears the Sermon on the Mount and does them, like he actually behaves like the the attitudes uh, tell us to behave, right? He actually loses and like he actually does these things in terms of. Covid nineteen. When someone tries to, how hard it says in, in, sorry, let me just get this verse uh, right in, in 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 Matthew five. When it says in, um, yeah, in about the second mile, um, and when whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too, right? So when we actually do the things, and even if we don't like some of the measurements being put. Um, to our society by, by the government, and we, we, we're doubting whether it's really sensible. Um, when we actually compel, you know, not with things that would go against the Bible, but if you compel with things that we may, may not like, but you know, we are asked to do them, and we do them in the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount. If we do these things, if we actually follow the Sermon on the Mount, then Jesus says, So whoever hears these things of minds, sayings of minds, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Who will stand in the last crisis? It will not be those that just heard the Sermon on the Mount and said, yeah, yeah, that's for basic Christianity. It will be those that heard the Sermon on the Mount and actually did what was written therein. Right? And those who say, no, yeah, that's just, you know, basic Christianity, let's just focus on Revelation, let's not bother with a Sermon on the Mount. They will actually be deceived. They will have their complete building, all the 28 fundamentals built on sand. Because they have no real foundation, they have no real connection to Jesus. And so I think we need to dig. We need to dig not being content just with the knowledge we have and the prophetic um, understanding we have. We need to dig and dig and dig and dig until we personally, you and me and everyone who's listening, we personally know that Jesus is my friend, my Redeemer. He has forgiven my sins. And now I see that he changes my life in a way that actually impacts other people. Then we can be sure. whatever happens in the end time we can stand because we stand on jesus and then we're prepared for whatever comes and we're certainly prepared for the second coming of jesus christ
0: amen those are some powerful thoughts evangelist cramp thank you so much for joining us you're welcome anytime as time allows i know you're nine hours ahead of me here in the west coast of the united states but it's an Mm. awesome privilege for you to join us here today thank you for your time i know it's valuable and we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, the pleasure is ours. And before we end, can you have a closing word of prayer for us?
1: Yes, of course. Dear Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for this opportunity to talk about some issues that are relevant right now in our church and our society. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will work on all of our hearts. We all come with certain ideas and certain things that have, um, certain experiences that sometimes blind our eyes to the reality that you see. And I ask that whatever our position on some of the issues are that we've discussed today, that we will certainly make that one decision that we will follow you and follow your words And be content with what it says. Help us to be not be being distracted by the news or theories that are maybe just worldly. And uh, help us to not mix worldly theories and the sacred truth. Help us to stand on the word of God alone. And dear Jesus, we want to ask that you will fill our hearts. The Holy Spirit, that we may not be Adventists by name, but Adventists by character that actually reflect your character in every word we say and every deed we do. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.